Welcome to Renovate, the young adult ministry of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We are for all young adults. Whether you're far from God or walking close to Him, we believe that our God fully knows us and fully loves us. So instead of leaving us as He finds us, He is constantly and graciously renovating our lives so we can look more like Him. Enjoy this week's message. Historically, I have been the worst at breaking up with people. Um, now, let me explain. Uh, I just want to be kind. I don't want to be mean. Like, I've never wanted to be mean or a jerk. I never wanted to hurt anybody's feelings. And so the approach that I would take historically would be, I'm just going to be gracious. I'm going to be gracious and kind and let them down easy. Um, and after uh, upsetting several women, I found that when you are all grace, you're all um, graciousness in the way that you speak, but th- there's no truth, that can actually be pretty wounding. Um, in fact, I talked to um, a couple of friends in prep, and I asked, I said, you know, uh, tell me some breakup lines that you've heard in the name of being gracious and kind. And let me just read you a couple of them. Uh, one, it's where, it's where we get lines like, you're amazing, you're like everything I want, I just want to ruin the friendship. You know, and the irony is like you just did, like you literally just ruined it. So way to go, uh, decimated it, right? It's, it's where we get lines like, uh, man, like again, like you're amazing and perfect and everything that I could ever want. There's nothing wrong with us or nothing wrong with you. I just feel like God has different plans for our lives. I just feel like God wants something else for us because when in doubt, we just blame it on God, right? Like no one can say anything about this. Like thus says the Lord, like I don't know what you want me to do, right? Um, or this one, um, I'd actually like stop and say, like, has someone actually said this to you? Um, and this, uh, this friend of mine said that uh, a guy walked up to her and said, you know, you're, you're amazing. And to be completely honest, like, I cannot wait to meet the guy that gets to marry you. Yeah, right? Like, because like, you're going to be such an amazing wife. Obviously, clearly, like, not to me, but like, you're going to be an amazing wife. And I can't wait to marry, marry that person. Now, all of those lines, right? Were, were intended to be kind. They were all intended to, to be something that was gracious and kind, yet they were lines that were incredibly wounding, right? And so um, the reality is that we kind of live in this world where we tend to kind of like just pile on the grace because we think that's what's gonna be loving to people, right? Um, because to quote the, the great theologian and philosopher Lizzo, as we know, truth hurts, right? Like that's, truth hurts. Like that's, that's the kind of lens that we view the world. And so we think that if truth hurts, then what's going to happen is that I, I just need to be gracious. I just need to be kind. I just need to let them down easy. But the reality, again, is that if we're all grace and no truth, we end up wounding people just the same because truth is actually incredibly loving. When truth is spoken well, when truth is spoken correctly, um, it can actually be incredibly loving um, to, to continue the uh, breakup line of thought. Um, I learned how loving truth could be when I actually got broken up with uh, in a very honest way. I was, uh, I was dating a girl in college for about six months, which is a decent amount of time, right? And uh, one night I could tell that things just kind of seemed distant. So as I'm walking out, I say, hey, you know, um, I just kind of feel like things are off. Uh, is everything Okay. And without skipping a beat, she says, yeah, I just feel like I'd be more into this if I was more attracted to you. Right. My thoughts exactly. And uh, I was like, let's back up a second. Um, So just to clarify, you are not attracted to me physically. She was like, not really. I'm like, all right, cool. Like, it's 
like, I feel like we're breaking up. She's like, yeah, it kind of sounds that way, doesn't it, right? And so in the moment, looking back on it, right, um, obviously that was a shot to my pride, a shot to my ego, um, but I hit the gym after that. Um, but I, uh, but in hindsight, there were, like, I, I weirdly felt loved by the clarity, right? For like the very first time, like I didn't have to guess what she meant. I didn't have to go to my friends and, and try to dissect what she could possibly mean. Like it was, it was clear. She didn't like the way my face looked, right? Like, that's, like that was the truth. And so for, for a moment, I was like, I, I weirdly felt loved by the clarity, right? And I tell you all of that for this. As believers, right, foundationally, we should be gracious people. Right? Like if you were here last month, we talked about how foundationally we should be able, and, and not just in like dating, that's an easy thing to pick on, but in, in all of our relationships, right? we should be marked by people who are gracious, that we meet people in their mess and we speak grace. However, if we are all grace and no truth, we do people a disservice because being truthful, being truthful in a, in, in a loving way can actually be incredibly loving. So what I wanna do tonight is really simple. I want us to figure out how do we be just as fluent in speaking truth as we are in speaking grace? How do we become people that are, are, are fluent in speaking truth just as we are in speaking grace? And so the way that I wanna do that tonight is I wanna start off by looking at um, the person of Jesus because Jesus is the embodiment of grace and truth. Jesus knew how to walk this line incredibly well and so he is our model. So let's look at John 8. We'll start in verse two and I'm gonna read a chunk and then we'll um, break it down because this is a very rich Rich text. So John 8, starting in verse 2. It says, Early in the morning, uh, he, meaning uh, Jesus, came again to the temple. And all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they had heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. This is an incredibly rich text. There's, there's so much going on here. So let's begin to kind of unpack this. So um, the text starts off, or text starts off and says um, that Jesus comes to the temple and he begins to teach. Now, um, historically, scholars believe that this was probably on the southern steps of the temple, right? And so here's the photo. Um, the southern steps were referred to as the teaching steps. Um, this is the steps where um, rabbis would come and teach their uh, disciples. So I want you to see this because I want you to envision what's happening here because he's on the steps teaching, right? But notice, the text doesn't say that he's just teaching his disciples. It says all came to him. He's teaching all the people. Right, so, so this is a crowded scene. Like imagine Jesus standing here and, and, and tens and 20, 30, maybe even 100 people are gathering near to hear the teachings of Rabbi Jesus, right? And then in the midst of this, these Pharisees, bring, these uh, religious uh, elite, religious leaders of the day, they bring this woman caught in the act of adultery. 
Now, scholars also believe that, that using the phrase caught in the act means that they probably brought her in whatever state of dress or undress they found her in. So this is an incredibly public scene, a very shocking scene if you're here to, to hear Jesus teach. But it's also an incredibly humiliating scene for this woman. Right? That she's dragged in front of all these people at the temple of all places. And what happens next is the Pharisees walk up and they say, hey, the law says that we stone women like this. What do you say? Now, um, to be fair, uh, the Pharisees were almost right. The Pharisees were almost right because they were quoting um, uh, the law of Moses in Leviticus 20.10. Let me read it to you. It says, if a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. So right off the bat, we, we can see that when the Pharisees show up, they're not really um, that bent on obeying the law to a T, right? Because in the law, what it says is both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. And if you notice, there's not a man in sight. They find this woman, and even in their phrases, they, they say the law says to stone women like this. The law actually said to stone both caught in the act, but you don't see the man. So right off the bat, we know they're not that concerned with following the law because they left out a big part of the law. On top of that, the text says that we know that, that the Pharisees were trying to trap him. They were trying to trick him. They were trying to find some charge to bring against him, right? And what Jesus does next is unbelievable. I mean, it's profound. He, he is the master of responding. See, there, there are people in this life that uh, respond and there, there are people that react, right? And Jesus responds. He is a responder. In fact, it um, reminds me that there's this other scene in the Gospels where uh, the Pharisees come and they say, hey, is it lawful to, to pay taxes to Caesar? And that's a very politically charged question and it could have incited a riot depending on his answer. But Jesus simply says, well, whose face is on the coin? Is it Caesar? Great. Well, then give back to Caesar what belongs to him and give to God what belongs to God. And everyone's like, right? Like just this incredible response. And what happens here is Jesus lays down one of the most prolific responses in human history. He says, whichever one of you is without sin, that's the one that should go ahead and throw the first stone. And it says that one by one, they walk away. They drop the stones that they had in their hand and they walked Wait, now, on a, on a somewhat unrelated side note, I want to point something out. I think as young adults, we should ponder the response of this crowd. Because if you notice, it says that one by one, they walked away, beginning with the older ones. Beginning with the older ones. Um, and I tell you that because for me, I think that so often I am convinced that I'm Right? right? I'm young. I'm educated. I read a lot of Twitter, right? Like, you know, I, like, I, like, I know what's right. And I, I would imagine that there were some young, zealous Pharisees in this crowd, stone in hand, who knew the Torah backwards and forwards, and they were fully convinced that they were in the right and felt fully justified for what was about to take place. Yet, it was the older ones that walked away first. It was the older ones who heeded the words of Jesus first. Because what I think happens is that when we think about age, with age comes perspective. It comes, it comes with wisdom. And something about these men, the older they were, they recognized their own sin. They were quick to respond to the words of Christ. I think there is a humility that comes with age as I was kind of reading that this week. And I say all that because I think that as young adults, um, I wondered whether or not we have to be, to be old to accumulate the wisdom that, that comes, or if we can just start taking that posture now. 
Because I don't know about you, but I wanna be uh, identified with the, with the people that were quick to heed the words of Christ. I wanna be quick to, to hear the words of Jesus and respond, unlike those who were younger in the crowd that walked away. So just something to be thinking about that stuck out. Now, back to the text, right? So everyone walks away, and Jesus bends down and he says, where are your accusers? She looks up and she says, they're not here. He says, yeah, I don't condemn you either. And what he says next packs a phenomenal punch and I don't want us to miss it. He, he says, yeah, I don't condemn you either. Now go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. And in this moment, we see the ideal, we see the model of what it looks like to enter into a conversation full of grace and truth. Because there's no doubt that he is gracious in the way that he meets her. He's gracious in the way that he interacts with her. He's gracious in the way that he fights for her. Yet he doesn't turn a blind eye to her sin. He doesn't stand up and say, hey, I'm so sorry. I don't know what that was about. Those guys completely overreacted. Keep doing you, live your truth, do your thing. No, he, he says, hey, don't go back to that. Don't go back to the life that they found you. Don't go back to your sin. Go and sin no more. Go and live differently. I've called you to something else. Go and sin no more. It's this beautiful balance of grace and truth. So for us, what we long for is that we are a people that learn how to do this well, that learn how to walk this line of speaking grace and speaking truth. But we are fluent in both grace and truth. And so for the next month in our Renovate Groups, we are going to get really practical about how do we do this? How do we walk this out, right? Three specific weeks on what does it look like to adopt this posture? Now, um, before we kind of get there, I want to answer the question of why, right? Because I want to talk about why, like, why is it worth a month of our time? Why, why is this even idea worth our time? This, this idea of, of living a life that is a balance of grace and truth. And I'll, and I'll tell you the why. This is of monumental importance to us as believers because we are easily deceived. We are easily deceived. We are so prone to believe lies. And here's what I mean. Um, the majority of um, our life as believers is going to be a life where we are battling through the ideas of what is true and what is false. Um, in fact, interestingly enough, when, when you look at the scriptures, um, a lot of the spiritual warfare that we see um, is a battle of truth. It's a battle of ideas. It's a battle of what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is false, right? And if you've, like if the word spiritual warfare freaks you out, it's cool, like I get it. Um, but um, oftentimes I think when, when we think of spiritual warfare, we, th- we, th- we think of movies like The Exorcist, right? Where it's some kind of demonic thing and a battle of good and evil and some priest just gets owned in the middle of it, right? And like we think of that kind of as like a spiritual warfare. But, but so often in scripture, what we see is it's really just a battle of ideas. It's a battle over what is true and what is false. So I'll give you an example. Um, the fall is a prime example of this. Um, if, if, if you're un familiar with the story of the, the, the Bible, I'll go ahead and um, summarize it for you. Um, in, in Genesis 2, God, God approaches Adam. He puts Adam in this garden called Eden, which is a Hebrew word for delight. So he's literally in a garden of delight. And he says, you have one command. Your command is to eat freely from anything that you see. Anything that you see in the garden, it belongs to you. The one thing that I ask is that you don't eat from this one tree over here, because if you do, you'll die. Pretty fair, right? Like, like, you have access to this entire garden of delight. Have whatever you want. Take advantage of it. Like, eat freely. Just don't touch this one. Don't eat this one because it's going to kill you. 
right? Like, that's the command. And so what happens in Genesis 3 is this serpent walks up to Eve, Adam's wife, and so Adam's job was, was to tell Eve what God had commanded. And the serpent walks up, and, and initially, uh, the, the first words out of the serpent's mouth is, did God really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Which is the complete opposite. It's like so false compared to what God actually said. And so right off the bat, we see this kind of battle over, what did God really say? What is the truth? Right? And they have this back and forth, and they kind of go back and forth until they're trying to figure out what God actually said. And finally, the servant says, you realize that God's not, like, you're not going to die. You realize that if you eat from that tree, what's going to happen is you're going to be just like God. You're going to be just like God. The problem here is that God's holding out on you. God is holding out on you. God is trying to rob you of something. God is trying to rob you of joy. They ain't taken eat. Like God's lying to you. And they take and they eat. And so Adam, whose job is to be right there speaking truth into her life, to say, no, no, that's a lie, that's false. I know what God actually said. I actually know the truth. He, he was passively sitting there and they both ate and all of a sudden death entered the world. And if you see in Genesis 3.13, what uh, Eve says when God shows up on the scene, uh, it says this, it says, then the Lord God said to her, he said, what is it that you have done? And she said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Serpent deceived me. In the garden, there was no battle. There was no epic kind of battle of good and evil and all this stuff. It was simply a conversation. The fall happened because of conversation over what's true and what's false. Deception, these lies that we're so prone to believe. In fact, uh, Dallas Willard has this phenomenal quote. He says this. He says, when Satan undertook to draw Eve away from God, he did not hit her with a stick, but with an idea. It was with an idea that God could not be trusted that she must act on her own to secure her own well-being. I love that quote because that's the battle that we still fight today. Like every single day, I am tempted to believe that God cannot be trusted. That is the lie that you and I are tempted to believe every single day, that God cannot be trusted. And so I have to take matters into my own hands. I have to do whatever I can to, to secure my own well-being. And so what we need in our life is we need community to gather around us and speak truth in the moments when we are tempted to believe lies. I need people to speak truth when I buy the lie that God cannot be trusted and I need to do whatever it takes to secure my own well-being. In fact, if you read the epistles, um, the majority of the epistles are, are Paul um, writing these, these letters of truth to the church that have kind of veered off into these, these kind of falsehoods. The church believes all these certain lies and has to lovingly speak truth in order to uh, correct them. I'll um, give you an example that, that, that I think is really pertinent to us. In 2 Timothy uh, 4, 1 through 4, Paul uh, writes to Timothy and he says this. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his ki kingdom, preach the word, meaning speak truth. Preach the word, speak truth. Be ready in season and out. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort, which are all words for correction. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, and here's why. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. What Paul is saying is, hey, Timothy, as a pastor, what your job is to do is to speak truth, is to preach 
the word is to speak truth and to correct. Why? Because there's coming a day when we're all gonna be tempted to believe a lie and wander off into myths. Paul understood that, that, that the biggest battle we tend to face on a daily basis is a battle over what's true and what's false. What is God actually calling? What does God actually want for my life? What's God actually asking of me, right? If I can give a personal example. There's a, there's a phrase that Paul uses in the book of Galatians uh, that resonates with my soul on a deep level. And it's the phrase, it says, do not grow weary of doing good. It says, don't grow weary of doing good. And I love that phrase because I am so quick to grow weary of doing good. I'm so, like, I, I'm so quick just to be tired of doing the Christian life. I think that oftentimes because I'm a pastor, I feel a certain level of pressure that, you know, like, like I can't be a jerk to my barista and I can't be a jerk to the person at the grocery store and I have to like do whatever I possibly can to, to, to model and be this face of what it looks like to be obedient. And, and there's times that I'm just tired and I don't wanna represent Christ. I don't wanna be obedient to what he calls me to. What I want to do is whatever it feels like doing to me. I, I wanna do what feels good to me. I don't care. I just want to do what feels good because I just get tired of doing good. I get tired of following after Jesus, right? And the crazy thing is, is I'm fully aware of what the truth is. Like, I'm fully aware of what the truth actually is, yet I still buy the lie. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm aware both theologically and experientially. Right? Like, like, I know theologically that Christ has come to give us life and life abundantly. I know Psalm 16 where David says, uh, you make known to me the path of life that in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand pleasures forevermore. Like I know those things to be true theologically. I, I know them to be true experientially. Like I've sat across the table from people as they've wept because they bought a lie. Now they're facing the repercussions of their decisions. I've sat across the table from people that have cheated on their spouse or made a decision in a drunken stupor that they can't take back. And I've just sat and grieved as they've weeped because they, they realized, like, I called God's bluff. I did what felt good to me. I bought the lie, and now my life looks so different, and I don't know how to piece it back together. Like, I know what the truth is, yet there are still times when I look at the lie, and I'm like, that sounds right. It sounds, sounds pretty good. So what I need is I need people in my life, I need community to rally around me and say, I love you, you're buying a lie. I love you, that's not true. Let me tell you what is true. And maybe you find yourself in that exact same spot. Maybe you are in a place in your faith where you're just tired of doing good, where you are weary of doing good. You're tired of Bible studies and you're tired of church things and churchy things and there's just something about you that you're in a place and you're like, I just wanna make out with a rando. Like that's just all I want in life, right? Like I get it. Like and there's just something in you that's like, I'm just so tired of doing good, right? So I had to light it up a second. But maybe you're in that place and what you need is a community to rally around you and say, hey, let me tell you what's true. Let me graciously meet you where you are. And then let me tell you what's true. Let me lovingly speak truth into your life. And so that's what we're gonna do for the next month. So if you're not in a group, man, be in a group. And so let, let me um, tell you kind of next steps for us, kind of uh, two quick applications and then we'll continue to worship. Um, the first is this, getting community. 
And this is pro- probably not a shock to you. Um, and we care deeply about you being in community, actual community, for two reasons. One, um, it's the safest place to be met with grace. Right? Getting to walk in a gospel-centered community should be the place where you are met with grace, where, where you can be open and honest and vulnerable and met with grace. But two, that it's also a safe place to receive truth. Right? That it is a, a group of people that love you, that know you, that want the best for you. And that they're not speaking truth just to beat you over the head with the truth, but they're speaking truth because they desire good for you. That they desire you to actually know and walk with Christ in a way that is nourishing to your soul. Right? So get in community. Um, the second is this. Ask the Lord to help you grow in receptivity. Ask the Lord to help you grow in receptivity. Um, if I were to predict the future, um, what I would predict is that over the next month of us trying to figure out as a community what it looks like to, to walk this line of grace and truth, um, what I would predict is that uh, for some of us, um, speaking truth will be difficult. To actually have the bold, boldness to speak up, that'll be difficult. But for most of us, or if not a lot of us, um, receiving truth is what's going to be difficult, right? Receiving truth. Because we have a weird relationship with receiving truth. On the one hand, there are certain scenarios where we crave truth, right? Like if you go to counseling, if you go to counseling, there, there's something in you that has come to realize, like, I've gotten off track somewhere. Like, like, the, like there's something off about the way that I'm navigating the world. So I'm going to go pay money for a person to speak truth into my life. I'm gonna pay someone to sit down and tell me what I'm doing wrong. Why? Because in some moments we crave truth and we will seek it out even at you know, cost to ourselves. But there's other times where depending on who's speaking truth, we're borderline allergic to it, right? Like I'm allergic to truth. I like, please don't tell me anything. I, like, I will not listen to you. I will not receive it, right? Like, like there are moments in time where, where we just don't want people to speak into our lives and, and we just stiff arm truth. We have this kind of weird relationship with truth. But if we want to grow, if we really want to experience all that Christ has for us, what needs to happen is we need to be in a place where we're receptive, and that might mean just sitting before the Lord and saying, God, will you make me receptive? God, will you soften my heart? God, will you give me ears to actually hear truth in a way um, that allows me to, to walk into the life and joy that you have for me? Right? Ask the Lord to, to help you become receptive. And just imagine for a second what this community would look like, what your life would look like if we decided I'm gonna be great at receiving truth. I'm going to be great at receiving truth and I'm going to be great at speaking truth. I'm going to learn how to walk this balance of grace and truth. I have to believe if we became masters of walking grace and truth and our decisions would be healthier, our relationships would be healthier, we would avoid unnecessary pain, unnecessary regret, unnecessary heartache. I have to imagine that God would do something profound in our midst if we actually learn to be fluent in both grace and truth. Because that is the ideal that he has set for us. It is what he has called us to at his people. So may we be a people that learn to be fluent in both grace and truth. Let me pray. Father, I, um, I just thank you for the model that you have left for us. That in your word, there is no doubt um, about how you have called us to live, that you have uh, modeled it for us. And so God, I I also know that this is a hard task before us. Um, Know that it's hard to 
to be bold in speaking truth. I know it's hard to uh, be humble enough to receive truth. But God, I also know that we need truth. I know that our lives uh, need the truth that you have laid out in your word. And so God, will you make us a people um, who are bold enough to speak it and humble enough to receive it. God, will you do a work in our hearts over the next uh, month that we gather in our groups. God, will you, uh, will you change, change us? May this be um, a room full of people who are marked by their ability to do both really, really well. People who strive to look just like their Savior. God, will you do that um, in our hearts? We love you. It's your sons and pray. Amen. We hope today's message was impactful and God used it to be part of the transforming work he wants to do in your life. Look, our desire is that this isn't just a resource you would listen to, but that this is really a community you would belong to. If you have any further questions, you just want to talk or need prayer, reach out to us. Our contact info is on the website, renovateftw.org, or connect with us on our social media, at RenovateFTW, and we would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.